Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 744 for September 27th, 2022, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Paul Kafasis. He is the CEO of Rogue Amoeba. Now, I don't normally have developers on the show, but Rogue Amoeba is celebrating 20 years of bringing us amazing audio programs like Audio Hijack. I thought it'd be really fun to have Paul on and maybe do a little walk down memory lane. And as I told him before we started, I'm going to gush like a little schoolgirl with a crush on your company. I love everything you guys do. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here, and it's uh, who doesn't like to be complimented, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I shouldn't have said guys. I'm trying to not say guys. People, humans, folks, folks, folks is the one that I've. That's what I've stuck with as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to do that. Well, before we go down uh, memory lane, I I do want to make sure, just in case someone listening has not heard me mention your software twenty three thousand four hundred sixty eight <laughs> times. Can you describe a little bit about the products you make? Maybe the elevator pitch? How do you describe what, what Rogamoeba is and what do you do? Sure. So Rogamoeba, as you said, we've been around for 20 years and we've been making audio software for the Mac, uh, software for recording, editing, broadcasting, uh, manipulating audio. Basically, the, the, the one sentence pitch is if you need to do something with audio on your Mac, we can probably help you with it. Uh, we've got seven different products right now, and I, I know we'll probably talk about a few of them, so I won't run through them all, but uh, Audio Hijack is probably our flagship product, most well-known product that lets you record any audio on your on your Mac. And then we've got Fission, which lets you edit audio, and uh, Loopback, which routes audio around your computer. Just a whole bunch of tools for basically, like I said, any need for audio on your Mac. That is, that I shouldn't. Is, I shouldn't say any, but uh, hopefully <laughs> we, almost any. We will get to that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> So uh, the first question that I'm sure people, the burning question everybody is going to ask is, why is it called Rogue Amoeba? Where on earth did you come up with that and make us spell both of those words? Right. So that was that's really what it is, is that uh, we wanted to punish ourselves uh, <laughs> because no one can spell Rogue. Everyone spells it Rouge, uh, R-O-U-G-E instead of R-O-G-U-E. Uh, and Amoeba has at least three different legitimate spellings. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a it was a terrible idea in 2002. Um, there's a poem by a, a writer named Peter Virak, uh, where he the line is I'm, I don't know if I have the line exactly, but it's something like the the rogue amoeba that's split in two, and he's talking about sort of the past, the Big Bang, that sort of thing, uh, and evolution. And so I, I when I read that years and years ago, I, I always enjoyed the idea of uh, this being there being this singular point where things had evolved from and and this rogue amoeba that decided to split into two and then from there all creation or all life anyway <clears throat> uh that's not actually where the name came from i just like to tell that as a story oh, oh uh, no it's urban legend that's not true that's that's yeah that's that's one of the urban legends i've been spelling the the real story is is much less interesting with, than that so that's that's what we go with is that it comes from this poem <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I One of the first things I do when I find a difficult spelling like that is I just put it in text expander so I don't have to type it ever. Oh, yeah. So I probably so, still can't spell Amoeba to this day. So I'm very good at it, having typed it for 20 years. But uh, the the big saving grace for us was Google in the early years. You know, if you searched Rogue Amoeba and you spelled it wrong, it would just correct it for you and get it for you. We had a few of the domains I'd have to look to see which domains we still own. We don't own too many of the typo domains anymore because it's not that necessary. But then a few years back, we got uh, the domain macaudio.com. Uh, we oh. picked it up and it, it had been registered. Somebody was squatting on it and they wanted way too much money for it. And it eventually, I don't remember exactly what happened, but we picked it up for a couple hundred bucks, cheap enough that uh, that it was well worth having. And so anytime I'm on a podcast, uh, any anytime I'm speaking with people, I just say, just go to macaudio.com. The company's name is Rogue Amoeba. You can find it if you search it on Google, but uh, macaudio.com, you can't misspell either one of those things very easily. So <laughs> You're not really trying if you do. Oh, yeah. that, that's actually really interesting because that does solve the problem. Um, also, text, text Expander. I have Text yeah. Expander for uh, Audio Hijack and Rogue Amoeba and SoundSource. Uh, so I type them often enough. I was kidding Paul before we started that uh, uh, he should pay me to advertise. And then I realized, why should he? Because I do enough advertising for free as it is. Um, so backing up, when the very first product you came out with was Audio Hijack. Is that right? Yes. So 20 years ago, today is the 28th. I don't know when this will actually get published. But uh, 20 years ago, two days from now for us on the 30th, uh, September 30th, 2002, we released Audio Hijack 1.0. Uh, on uh, 2002, that would have been 
Mac OS 10.2, I think. Mac OS 10, uh, 10.2 was the, I believe, first supported operating system. So to put that in perspective, I looked up what Macs uh, were available right then. That was the year that the Lampshade iMac G4 came out along with the white G4 iBook with a 600 megahertz PowerPC processor, a screaming little machine. And I think the eMac was introduced that year too, the uh, the educational Mac. Well, so you 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 mentioned that to me and then I was looking and the first version of Audio Hijack and possibly even Audio Hijack Pro a few months later was developed on a 233 megahertz iMac. Uh, so that was much slower than even the relatively slow machine you were just describing. And it was interesting because when we did that, uh, it sort of forced us to, we were developing on this, you know, not great machine uh, and there were better machines out, but this sort of forced us to optimize the software and make it work as quickly as possible. Uh, and that was sort of a little, uh, making uh, lemonade out of lemons. We had, you know, we didn't have these phenomenal machines. And so we use that to our advantage to say, all right, we got to optimize the software to run on our machines. And then if people have better machines, it'll be great for them. That's probably a good strategy all around. Don't, don't do it on the, uh, you know, an, an Top M1, of the line. Uh, yeah, Max or Ultra, if it's got to be able to run well on an Intel machine, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I uh, feel kind of like a latecomer because I didn't discover Audio Hijack until 2006, and I I have such a distinct memory of finding this at the Podcast Expo out in um, uh, Ontario, California. Ontario, California. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was a hopping place to have yeah. a conference. <laughs> uh, but I remember standing at this booth, and this guy came up next to me, and we started talking about it. And his name is Donald Burr, and he became a fast friend of mine. We're still friends to this day, and uh, and we met over Audio Hijack. I I don't remember. Would that have been Audio Hijack Pro by that time? Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, so so O two September of O two, we released Audio Hijack one, and literally. Five plus months later, March 3rd of 2003, is when we shipped Audio Hijack Pro 1. And really what it was is that we had made, uh, we got a ton of requests from Audio Hijack. Uh, the, the first version came out and people said, oh, I wanted to have timers and I wanted to record to more audio formats. And, you know, uh, just, again, this is 20 years on, but I can remember at least a few of the things that people wanted. And we said, all right, and we started working on what was going to be Audio Hijack 2. Uh, and it was six months later and we said, all right, it didn't quite make sense to already have a version two, uh, and have a paid upgrade. And, and, uh, so we wound up splitting the product line for, uh, I'd have to look at the exact numbers, but for like eight or nine years, we had two different versions where we had audio hijack, which was sort of the simpler introductory version of the software. And then audio hijack pro, which was where we were putting more advanced features and audio, uh, an audio effect chain so you could uh, manipulate audio better and uh, just all, all manner of pro was pro was a big mistake in terms of uh, not a big mistake, but it was, it was not a truly useful uh, suffix because some people looked at it and they said, Oh, I'm not a professional. I don't need that. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't really about being used by professionals. Uh, it was more about just higher level. Uh, so audio hijack, Advanced ultra or extreme ultra. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. So, uh, but yeah, so audio hijack pro, when it came out in 2003, that quickly became sort of the, the major version, the main version that most people used yeah, despite the even, name sort of indicating. I didn't even realize there was a lower one. I, mm -hmm. I think I always knew it as audio hijack pro. I realized I should back people up starting if you're looking at audio hijack one, what did it do? What was its job? Okay. So Audio Hijack 1 in 2002 was, uh, it had two major functions. One was recording any audio playing on your computer. And the other that we focused on briefly was applying audio effects to audio on your computer. And let's go way back, because again, this is 20 years. This is a time when people would be watching a DVD. That's a plastic disc that has a movie on it or uh, <laughs> some sort of some sort of video content on it Ask that you would slip children. in your computer. Yeah. <laughs> there was a hole in your uh, computer. You'd slip it in. There was there was a there was a slot in the side of your computer or a tray even a tray that would pop oh out. yeah 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 it was probably uh, a tray back then ah <laughs> uh, I forget when the slot loading came in but yeah it was around then uh, and so you'd put a DVD in and you'd watch a movie and uh, the DVD player didn't and I think still doesn't because at this point they're not updating it uh, didn't even have an equalizer so you couldn't do any audio adjustments okay and so people wanted to especially things like concert DVDs people wanted to manipulate the audio in a way, you know, add some more bass to it or just adjust the levels, things like that. And 
uh, in 2002, when we released this, that was one of the things that we focused on in our marketing because the ability to record audio uh, was not super obviously legal. Uh, it was not something that should have been illegal. This is something where if you're able to listen to a stream and you want to listen to it later, we made it possible to record that. But focusing solely on that didn't seem wise uh, at the time because- In terms of the, drawing a target on you? Exactly. So so the Recording Industry of America, Recording Industry Association of America, RIAA, uh, was suing various companies for various things. Napster got sued for allowing illegal downloads. Uh, and what we were doing was- certainly more obviously legitimate than that. Again, if you could listen to something, then you could record it. And that's basically known as time shifting, which is what a VCR does. It's what a TV, uh, it's what a TiVo does. Uh, but the law was not obvious that this was allowed. So in addition to recording, we focused heavily on uh, applying effects to things, which it was something that people wanted, but recording was really what they wanted. And I don't know if you're going to link it. You 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 saw the screenshot that we had of Audio Hijack One, yeah, uh, from from 2002, and the 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 UI of it is very obviously dated. But what's really interesting is the source that we had was a source called Real One Player. Uh, there was a company called Real, which I, I think they still exist, but I don't know what they're doing if they do. Uh, but they were responsible for streaming audio over the internet. That was basically the way to stream audio over the internet. And so Real One Player was the way that you would listen to radio broadcasts, uh, sports events, things like that. And if people wanted to record those and listen to them later, uh, Audio Hijack made that possible. And so that in the screenshot, that's like our our source. That's the uh, target that's application. What you're pulling says, audio from? Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the selected application where you're going to pull audio from. And now, 20 years on, Audio Hijack is still around. Real One Player is not. Uh, again, I'd have to look to see if real the company is even still around. They probably got swallowed up by somebody. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's very there, interesting yeah. to look back and see uh, just what we were focused on and what has survived and what hasn't. So just the word hijack, um, it, it does kind of elicit this dark underworld. You're getting away with something, but it's it's kind of always been interesting that that was never built into macOS that you couldn't do that automatically. And you grab this niche that turns out to be exceedingly important. And, and way back then, I remember my friend Margaret is um, very interested for some reason in Dutch radio shows. So she would set it up once you got to the to the point where you could do time shift, you could mm -hmm. set a schedule. She would yep. she knew that there was this radio show she wanted to listen to, but it was at three in the morning her time. So she would set it up to record that. And it, like you say, it's, it was just like a VCR. But again, back then, VCRs were kind of a dicey. Ooh, are you going to be allowed to do this? Is that fair right. use? What are you allowed to do? And luckily, that didn't end up being a problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's something where, so very early on, I can remember some articles that were like, oh, if you heard the name Audio Hijack, wouldn't you think that was illegal? Mm -hmm. And no, it wasn't. And 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 the case law was, was slowly being established. But, uh, you know, from a moral standpoint, like you just said, the example you gave is perfect. Something's on at three in the morning. You want to listen to it. You don't want to be up at three in the morning. There should be a tool that lets you listen to it when you wake up at nine in the morning. And that's exactly what this did. And, and so, yeah, the, the name was, uh, you know... The name has served as well, and I think it draws the eye, draws the ear. So I, I think uh, ultimately it's a it's a good name, but definitely we could have gone with something simple like uh, you know audio recorder or uh, right, audio it, that grabber. would have got to what this is because you can literally hijack any source, and we'll get into some of the aspects of this later. But I mean. It, Right now, with the latest advances you've made, we can hijack the sound of voiceover. So I can play right. for people, what does voiceover sound like? What When you do this, what does it sound like? So I can capture that audio and do other interesting things with it. And and it's, hijack is the right word. <laughs> it really yeah. is. You're hijacking going, okay, I'm going to plug this pipe over into this pipe in, in, in uh, ways that weren't naturally available. So that, that's very cool. So did you branch out from other products right away or did was Audio Hijack the bread and butter for a long time? So within, uh, let's see. So the company started in 02 and by the end of 03, we had four products and two freebies that we were just giving away that were just doing simple things on the, on the, uh, on the system level. But so we, like I said, about six months in, we released five, five months in, we released Audio Hijack Pro 1. And that was where we had a simple version and a pro version, you know, a higher level version. And so we had two different products that we were developing and we were developing them both uh, pretty actively. 
And uh, then we released a product called Detour, which uh, that only lived for about two years, but it has sort of been resurrected in a current product we have called SoundSource. Uh, but Detour's uh, point was giving you control over audio. Uh, so let's see, the, the simplest example is if you want to play audio from, say, Safari uh, through one set of speakers, but your music from iTunes at the time or you know the music.app uh, to a better set of speakers, you could send audio to different outputs. Okay. So the Mac just lets you select one output and here's where all your audio is going to go. Uh, Detour made it possible to send audio to multiple outputs and to adjust volumes. So if you said, oh, I, Safari just mostly makes noises that I don't need to hear, I'll send that, I'll mute it, or I'll put it to very low volume. And I want my, my MP3s, my music that I'm listening to, to be louder. I can do that. So that was a that was a tool that uh, we we really liked and we really liked the functionality that it provided. But in 2003 through 2005, when we retired it, uh, there were a lot of issues where most computers didn't have the ability to send audio to multiple outputs. So unless you had a, a physical set of like USB speakers that you plugged in, oh. uh, it wouldn't it it didn't have the ability to send to multiple outputs. So that's um, just frustrated users, I'm sure. Exactly. So it was something where we had a lot of, lot of, oh, you know, I, I want to use this. It sounds great, but then it doesn't work for me. Uh, and the system itself was not uh, allowing us to do what we needed to do. So we retired it and what, 2018, 2017, something like, something like 12 years later, uh, SoundSource uh, was updated in a way that basically absorbed a lot of this functionality. And that now in, you know, in 2022 is one of our most popular products because this is something that people want to do. And the system has sort of caught up and, and makes it possible to do that when, uh, when we're working on top of it. The, so, yeah, the that was, existence of SoundSource was interesting to me. It, correct me if I'm wrong on the evolution of how it came to be. Um, there was a, a product called Soundflower, which a lot of us used, and it was, it was eventually uh, spun off to be open source. And then the people who were uh, managing it did, didn't want to manage it any, anymore. And so Rogue Amoeba took it under their your wing, and you guys uh, were the stewards of it for a while, and then you spun it back out on its own. But that's when SoundSource was born. And so those are actually not related. The really? sound, the names are the names are very similar, obviously. So I thought you gained information from stewarding that, and then created no. SoundSource from it. Oh, no, okay. and and that's interesting because so so Soundflower was a tool that let you grab all the audio on the system. So Audio Hijack and most of our tools, uh, they can grab from specific applications. So if you just want to record from Zoom or you want to record from Safari, you, you target that specific application. Soundflower was an open source tool to grab all of the audio. So it wasn't as discreet as Audio Hijack, but it was useful if you just said, well, I just need to record this audio. And if I get some beeps from my mail app or whatever, it'll be fine. Um, so it was, it was a little blunter. Uh, it, was, it was less precise. So Soundflower had been around for a long time. And for a brief period, Soundflower provided system audio capture to Audio Hijack Pro and maybe one or two other apps of ours uh, until we developed our own in-house method of grabbing all audio. Uh, but so yeah, Soundflower, uh, when we took it over, just as you said, steward is the word that I always use. Uh, we were just basically the original developer wasn't working on it anymore. And we said, well, people still use this. Uh, not so much with our software, but uh, they use it in general and we don't want it to disappear on them. So we hosted it. We made a couple updates for, for new versions of OS X. Uh, and that was about it. And eventually somebody came and took it back over and we spun it back out to them, like you said. But yeah, the, the thing that people think uh, or have thought in the past is, oh, they, you know, they, they looked at that and then they, they worked off of that and, and cribbed off of that. And it really wasn't the case. It was something where we already had a replacement for what it did provide. And then what SoundSource does is, is somewhat unrelated to it. I mean, in terms of controlling audio, manipulating audio, yes. But again, it's per application, whereas Soundflower is still just all of your audio on your Mac. SoundSource to me, um, I'm going to gush about this application as well. Um, it's amazing what it can do. I know it's not your least expensive product out there, but the the level of control I have, like right now I'm looking at it and I could selectively mute just Zoom right now. I mm -hmm. could change if Paul was coming through too loud to me versus my own voice being recorded, I could lower the input volume of Zoom. Um, I can, it, it gives me buttons in my menu bar that I can mute my microphone. 
Yeah. And one of the things I've always wanted was I, I happen to have a good interface now, the Wave XLR from Elgato that I can just tap the top and mute so I can cough, but I can also do it just in a menu bar. I can just tap that. Um, right now, when I do my live show, I'm I'm uh, talking to Steve, who's my producer. I'm talking to him in Mimo Live, and I can hear him over in uh, Discord at the same time. And during different phases of the production, I need to be able to switch between the two, and I can just do that. I can just yep. mute Mimo Live and listen to him in Discord. Then when we switch over and we actually go live, I switch the two sources. I mean, the level of control and adding special, you know, effects and equalizers and things like that on top of it. It's just, it's a really, really powerful app and can also control voiceover. So I can have voiceover yep. not as loud in my ear. I need to hear the system sound loud, but I don't want voiceover yelling at me because I can actually see, I want to be able to hear what it's doing, but not be overwhelmed. It's its an amazingly powerful tool. It's, it's one that, that's probably our most, uh, our broadest application. Because basically, uh, not everyone needs to record audio, not everyone needs to edit audio, but basically if you use a Mac, it's very likely you're doing something with audio. Mm -hmm. And if you are, uh, SoundSource can make it better for you. So it's the one that if, if someone says, oh, you know, what, what does your company make? I, I mentioned a couple of products and then I say, but if, you, if you're interested to check something out, SoundSource is the one that probably can improve things for you in some way, yeah. Yeah, it's it was it was a sleeper to me that I was I, my strategy is you come out with a product and I go okay I'll buy that because it's probably something <laughs> I want uh, yeah I, I know I'm gushing but it's really true that's the way I feel about it and so when it came out I was like well this probably solves a problem for me and I threw it in there and I was like oh it can do that oh look it can do that oh my gosh look what else it can do it's and and it's an interesting combo with audio hijack because I'm doing a mm -hmm. lot of control of the audio with audio hijack. I, I do want to talk about a, a um, when Audio Hi, I, sorry Audio Hijack Pro was for was out. Someone else set it up for me because I literally could not figure out how to use it. I was like, I don't know what any of these things mean. None of this is is somebody set it up, and I never touched it. I never did anything with it because I was afraid of it. And then when Audio Hijack Pro or Audio Hijack came out, it was it would have been three, I think. Version by three, the time. yep, in 2015. Yep. It was a complete redesign of the interface and it was glorious. I looked at it and I went, oh, I bet you do this. Hey, that actually worked. Oh, let me try dragging this thing in. It was drag and drop and it was a it was a beautiful thing. Can you talk about how you made that giant change i mean your development environment the people doing the development that that was miraculous to me yeah and and uh, thank you that's it's it's very nice to hear because we certainly feel the same way so uh real quick timeline audio hijack 1 was in 2002 audio hijack pro 1 was in 2003 uh audio hijack pro 2 was in 2004 and then for 11 years we worked on audio hijack pro and it had many updates but they were all free and in 2015, we finally came out with version three, and that was where the interface changed. So it was transformational. It, it really was uh, a revolutionary new interface. That's you know that sounds like Apple marketing junk, but <laughs> no, it compared was. to the old version, it really was. Uh, and it was something where Audio Hijack Pro and the, the the versions that we had made for the first 10 to 13 years, uh, it was very much about providing the power and doing what we could to make it easy to use or, or make it usable, I should say. But we had not, to that point, focused on, okay, how can we make this as simple to use as possible? And how can we make this as accessible to everyone as possible? And so when we worked on Audio Hijack 3, which we worked on for several years, and the most frustrating thing in the world was, uh, I'd, ha I'd have to think about the calendar exactly, but you know, let's say 2013, 2014, we're working on these this new version and we can see this is so much better. We just want to get this out there, but we have all this work to do to get it done. And so we're still dealing with all the problems of the old version. And mm -hmm. we just want to, we just want to be able to say Play to people, no, 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 just, just use the new one. It, it'll be great, but it wasn't out yet, obviously. But yeah, so the, the new interface was designed to provide a visual pipeline of where your audio was going to flow. And I think that was the, you know, that was the Eureka moment when we said people need to see what they're doing. And the previous versions had not, they had a flow. You could, you know, if you looked at it, you could see, okay, I'm going to select a source. I'm going to select how I'm going to record. I might add some audio effects, but it was not visually clear that as soon as I click run, now I see audio flowing through it and there's a pipe 
where you know uh, a representation of audio is flowing it's it's level meters uh and it's very obvious with version three and the new version four uh just how audio is flowing and so yeah it's something where when that came out in 2015 uh i think we saw a whole lot of people suddenly able to use the software who previously hadn't been and and you said somebody helped you set it up and you used it but you'd touch one thing and you'd make it run and then you'd step away from it and that's it uh now you're you're fiddling with it as much as you like because you trust that you're going to be able to figure it out, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, I play with it all the time. I say, hey, I wonder if it can do this. And I just drag things in. So to describe to people who haven't seen it, if you wanted to say record Safari, you you basically start with something that is the input and something that the, is the output. You just need those two blocks. So you could drag an application block in as the source and uh, maybe just just a speaker block as your, mm-hmm. as your output. And then you can throw in between it, you wanna say, okay, I wanna add an equalizer. Boom, you're done. You press run, you're, you're already doing that. Or you wanna throw in a recorder block. You just drag it in and by default, it's gonna do an MP3, but you can make it do all kinds of fancy formats. So you drag those things in, you look at it, you hit run. And if there's no little yellow line moving between it, you did it wrong. You got them right. out of order or something. And so you can, you can make these things work. And, um, but there's something else you did that was, to me, the most extraordinary was you started with accessibility. In, in terms of for, uh, for visually impaired users, you mean? Right, right. Yeah. Probably so, not the most useful tool for people who can't hear. But Right, 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 right. No, of course. But uh, it does well, have so, visual components. So maybe if you were just trying to boost the volume, you were visually, you're audio that's right, impaired. Yeah, it could be. Um, so it's something where, so I, I so the Mac has long been very accessible for people with various uh, impairments and making Mac software uh, accessible as a, as a third-party developer is, it takes extra work, but it is not terribly difficult. Uh, there are systems in place that Apple has put in place where you say, okay, these we're gonna have to label this control and here's how voiceover, the systems, uh, systems assistant will read it. And uh, so doing that work is just part of what we do for all of our software. And over time, we've gotten better at it and done more, gone more into depth with it. But it's something where for us, it, it's if you if you just stop and think think about it, we're an audio software company. So people that have visual impairments are probably more likely to be interested in music, interested in audio, mm-hmm. uh, because they're missing that other sense. So let's focus on the one that that we can use and and listen to more podcasts. We're not not as likely to watch a movie or or take in a movie. Uh, so it's something where our software is, you know, even more than most software positioned, uh, to where it makes sense to provide that accessibility for people with, uh, with visual impairments. And it's for us, it's been super gratifying because, uh, the people that use the software and have a good experience with it, they love it and they talk about it and they tell their friends about it. And there's all these communities of visually impaired users and, uh, they, they one of them will find the software and they will mention it to other people. And then uh, the fact that it works well, unlike I, I think on Windows, there's pretty bad accessibility. On the Mac, it's the bar is higher at least. But hopefully, we've done even better than a lot of the software out there. But and with, with Audio Hijack Three, though, you didn't you didn't tack on these features. You didn't design an interface and then say, okay, we got to label all the elements. You built it in from the ground up, which I think is is less work overall and and allowed you to think in a different way. It's a drag and drop interface for the visual people. Right. And yet it works perfectly for people who can't see at all. That's a different approach, right? Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. It's something where at a minimum, you should go back over your interface and say, let's label everything and, and make sure that it's accessible to some in some capacity. But you're right that so Audio Hijack 3 was designed to be super visual. Uh, and obviously that's going to be problematic if you if you can't see it or if you can't see it very well. Uh, so we definitely did not just slap something on top at the end and say, okay, it's accessible. You'll be able to hear everything. Uh, yeah, there's a whole grid system, which most users, you know, 95% of users never need to hear about. But uh, because you're dragging and dropping these blocks to make a pipeline, uh, the it's on a grid and the grid will read what numbers you're at. So uh, you can... I, I don't even know the proper term. Like I would say visualize. Well, it's, coord- it's, visualize coordinate it's, it's a coordinate system. It's a coordinate system. So it's system, like yeah. this block is at one comma one. The one to the right of it is at one comma two. Exactly. Row, row one, column two. So you can build this in your head without even being able to see it. And and yeah, it's it's been it's been 
very helpful for people who who can't see this. They can still use the software and and yeah, building it from. I don't know if we. I, you're giving us maybe too much credit. I don't know if we did it from day one, but definitely we looked at this and we said, okay, this is going to need to be accessible, and we need to figure out the proper system to do that. And that coordinate system was was what we came up with and and has served us well. Okay, I'll give you day two then. Uh, this <laughs> this works so well. I have actually taught two blind people to use it. And oh, the, that's awesome. It was the way I've done it um, is I get them on a Zoom call where, or, or Skype or whatever, where they screen share to me. So I'm seeing uh-huh. what they're seeing because I don't necessarily understand exactly how it works. I mean, I understand that it's in this grid system, but I need to see what they're doing in order to say, okay, now do that. No, no, you got to nudge it to the right or the left. Yep. And so then uh, this is where Audio Hijack itself has to help me is I need to be able to hear them on voiceover. Right? right. So so I have to be able to hear what they're doing. And I was able to build sessions where I could listen to their voiceover and, and not have voiceover on my side, but I could tell what they were doing visually. And it was it was amazing. I mean, it was inside of an hour twice. People have asked me, hey, teach me how to use this. I'm like, sure. Why not? That'd be fun. Oh, that's that's so great. And, and so we so uh, that's amazing. We have a pretty, a pretty in-depth article on using the software. And ideally, someone can pick it up and use it period without needing to read anything. We have a pretty good article on this, but then uh, you know, if if someone is getting extra help, extra help and that works, that's awesome as well. Yeah, that was fun for me because I was forced to learn it. I, I do spend a fair amount of time testing apps uh, to see if they're accessible. Because mm-hmm. when I'm talking about an app, I want somebody to know whether they're going to be able to use it. They can pretty much assume it's not a Windows app if I'm talking about it. I will right. explicitly say if it's available on Windows, but I try to explicitly say this one works or, you know, I found a bunch of stuff labeled, but this really important piece you need. No, they didn't label that at all. So yeah, you know, right, right. Just, just move on by on this one. But uh, yeah, it's it's really helped. Um, did you want to talk about the, uh, the, the screen that you get? One, one of my favorite things about Audio Hijack and all the apps from Rogue Amoeba is that when you put in your license, and I tend to reinstall my OS pretty often. So when you reinstall the license, you get confetti and it's so yeah. happy making. I just love it. So yeah, so years ago, we've uh, there's a blog post about this, but we've changed our license window several times over 20 years. And our most recent one, we uh, added some, it's just like a silly little JavaScript effect, but uh, it pops some confetti on the screen as you uh, as you have unlocked the software. And my joke is always that digital confetti is the best confetti because you don't have to clean it up. <laughs> uh, but you you must have been working with uh, one of these people or, or, or someone else who was who was visually impaired. And you mentioned you must have mentioned to them, oh, you know, when you unlock it, it, it does a thing. And for them, it didn't do anything because they couldn't see it. And so, uh, with that in mind, you you sent us this feedback, and uh, over over the next few weeks, we were poking at it, and we said, "All right, let's let's add a very small uh, sort of celebratory sound." And uh, so now, all yeah, at this point, it's all updated. It's a couple of years back at this point, uh, but all the software now will also play a very brief, uh, you know, sort of a happy tune. <laughs> as you unlock it so that you know that you've properly done it. And, and yeah, that was, uh, that was a great bit of feedback we got from you. And, and, uh, and we turned around and said, let's make this better for everybody. Yeah, I was actually on a blind radio station uh, being interviewed. And uh, when we came up with that, I was like, yeah, wait a minute. Why doesn't it have a sound? I must write a letter. <laughs> and it worked. It worked. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Most, most, uh, most places where you write them a letter, you never hear back or, or, you know, it just goes into the trash, but, uh, no, that was, you were absolutely right. It was something we could improve and, and it was easy. It was easy to see that that was somewhere where we could uh, do better. So we were happy to. The one, I want to make sure, uh, I'll just sneak this in right here that I want to say how great the support staff is. I mean, maybe it's a bad thing for your company that I know Robert, <clears throat> sorry, Robert, Chris, and Aaron really well now. Like, I really need to take them out for beers at some point if we ever get to meet <laughs> in real life, because I write to them all the time. And I don't think I've ever had an unanswered question. You know, the answer might be, no, it can't do that. Or, right, you know, sure. I would love to figure this out for you, but for the life of us, we can't. We don't know what you've done that has caused this <laughs> thing. But 98% of the time, they get me the real answer. And, and they, uh, they're they never snotty either. They're never like, would Good. you stop annoying us? But they, <laughs> they, I just checked and I have saved 
111 emails since 2018. So I am okay. talking to these people a lot and they're always helpful. And uh, and I just want to give a shout out to them. I don't know how big your staff is, but I know those three people are have always That's, been really responsive to me. So that that is our entire support staff right now. Uh, Chris has been with us for over 10 years, might be 11 years now. Uh, and Robert and Aaron for, Robert almost five and Aaron for a couple now. Uh, and yet yeah, we- Aaron's so, the new guy, I know. But, Aaron's the new guy, But he's great exactly. too. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we, very early on, I was doing all the support for us. We had uh, just three of us and I was handling all the support email. And it influenced our development a lot because uh, it was something where we said, okay, if we, if we implement something and it causes a, an increase in support email, uh, it also needs to cause an increase in sales. Otherwise, there's not enough time. There's not enough. So we had sort of a support-focused development process where we said, okay, how can we do X while still minimizing the support email we're going to get? And that leads to things like interfaces that explain themselves or that are very clear and that you know don't require someone to say, oh, how do I do X? How do I do Y? Uh, you're doing things that are, you're doing all sorts of things that are fairly complex. And, uh, you know, there's only so much we can do uh, in terms of making it obvious, making everything obvious. But, uh, but so from, from very early on, we said, you know, we want to, we want to make these products as easy to use as possible so that people don't need to email us. But also when they do email us, we want to have a proper response. And so we also have what I usually refer to as a very flat hierarchy. Uh, there's the support team, and there's developers and there's the co-founders of the company. And it's not really a ladder. It's it's mostly flat. And the support team can talk directly to me. They can talk directly to one of the developers. Uh, if you look at, you know, if you go into an Apple store and you talk to somebody, even a genius there, they can't talk to an Apple engineer. They can't talk to Tim Cook. They can't talk to, you know, anybody who, who could make a difference, who could change something. Uh, and even if they, I'm sure they have some way to submit feedback through Apple, whatever, but it's going to go through 20 different people before it gets to anybody who can actually make a change. And for us, it's something where literally the support staff can say to me, hey, this is broken. We should fix it. Usually it's something like on the website where we fix it that quickly, but this is broken. We should change it. We should fix it. And we'll say, you know what? There it's fixed, done. Or here's something in the app that confused somebody. Let's talk about that. And uh, it's, it's a process where they're very involved in our development. Uh, I the feedback that we get from users and filtered through support is phenomenally valuable, and uh, we always want people to contact us with feedback, with questions, with problems, and then we can try and do better on it. Um, now I'm starting the, to think maybe you had to hire Aaron just because of me. That it's how much I write <laughs> not back. quite, but so in in 2020 there there was this uh, whole global who's it's uh, you know this uh, this pandemic thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if people remember. But during the pandemic, we saw a huge increase in usage of our products. Hmm. And like, I'm talking like a threefold increase in usage of our products. Oh. And so suddenly our support burden went up because we just had so many more users. So that was when our team expanded. We'd already expanded to two people and we added a third person at that point. And Chris took over as our support manager. And then we've got uh, Aaron and Robert as you know the support techs. Uh, but they all are phenomenal. And uh, I, I always make sure to... Anytime I'm talking about the company, I say we. We mm -hmm. is the entire, uh, there's 10 of us full-time right now. And the support staff is uh, not not some side part of that. They are, you know, on equal yeah, footing me, with everybody else. They tell else. me you don't do anything at all is what I heard. No, not movie. at all. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I just go on podcasts and, and ramble a little bit. And, and yeah, that's it. I uh, I can definitely tell that they have a connection back to uh, to the developers, and and you you bring up a good example with Apple. Obviously, they're at a different scale, and I have a whole different of thing. Course. But I often you'd be shocked to find out I'm talking to Apple support, and I my problems are never something that the first person can ever answer. I've I have right. to just get past that hoop, and the worst words I can hear is I'm going to send this to engineering. That's it. Because that, it's a black hole, right? It is. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, it's uh, the the guy in the um, uh, it's Billy Mummy in uh, uh, Twilight Zone where he wishes it off into the cornfields. That's what I right, picture right, every right. time. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't believe maybe once or twice I've gotten an answer back from engineering that actually helped me. But the answer uh -huh. is is ninety eight percent of the time it's nothing at all. It yep. never comes back, and it's just just go away. Just stop calling us. Uh, well. So, and that's, that's never the same the as being a developer. So when developers have an issue that uh, we report through Apple's feedback system, which is built for developers to report, 
you know, we pretty much never hear back on it or we hear, uh, you know, works as intended or whatever. So you're getting the, you're getting the proper developer experience that way. <laughs> well, I, I definitely, uh, I, I did want to make a point of, of saying how great those guys are. Cause I, I do talk to them. In fact, I've, I've got one queued up that I, uh, I need to write, uh, about the website right now. Uh, All right. And, I'll give them a warning. <laughs> actually, I'll bring it up. Um, because it's an interesting product. I used your product, uh, Piezo for many years. And, and can you talk about what Piezo is and what it isn't? Yeah, so so Piezo is sort of our it's it's Audio Hijack's little brother is how I think of it, but uh it's a very simple audio recorder. It literally has one button that you can click. It's about 3 clicks that you need to record something. Uh but it has very few settings. It does not have audio effects. It does not have tons of different audio formats you can record to. But the idea is to be as simple as possible. If you want to record something on your Mac, uh, you can just open Piezo, select the source, hit the record button, and you'll be recording. And that can be an app, right? Yes, yes, yes. So microphones, uh, audio devices, or other uh, applications, exactly. So I'm I'm actually recording from Zoom right now uh, as, as our backup audio using Piezo instead of Audio Hijack, just because it was easier to set up. It was right there. Uh, Interesting. Yep. Uh, so so the, the feedback's going to be the buy button doesn't work. It goes to a, a broken page right now. The pricing button? In... Uh, on the website or in the, yeah on the uh, website if you go to, oh if you click on piezo <laughs> well that's that's an important one we need we need the store to work properly <laughs> well everything else seemed to work but I was poking around because I couldn't remember how much uh, piezo costs but uh, gotcha. and so I went to double check it and and there was there was nothing there uh, okay all right I'm making a note of that myself but uh, <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to figure that one out because yeah if if the if sales don't work then the company very rapidly <laughs> goes out of business. <laughs> So. so let's talk about pricing. Uh, a lot of companies have gone to uh, subscription pricing and it's driving us all crazy. Nobody wants it. Everybody hates it. But then you realize, oh, well, it keeps them working on stuff. And some of them are definitely worth it. They're good value for the money and mm -hmm. some are not. Um, but you guys haven't gone down. You guys, you folks have not gone down that path. Uh, you charge for a product. And then when you do a major, major update, you you charge for the for the upgrades, but talk about how you've strategized on that because you don't charge very often. No, we uh, we had a we're doing a 20th anniversary, and we had a post that uh, I did the math on it, and we've had 898 updates in 20 years, and 888 of them, all but 10 of them, were free updates. Uh, so we've had 10 paid upgrades over the over the past two decades. Wow. Uh, but it's well, so it's it's it's. The, the, the first thing to say is that this is how in 2002 you had to do it. Subscriptions <laughs> for software weren't a thing then. And I'd, I'd really have to figure out like the history. But I remember, you know, Adobe went to subscriptions very early on and people hated it. Uh, but it was something where their institutional customers or their, their commercial customers said, all right, fine, we'll just put it on a credit card and get charged every month. And it'll only be 50 or 75 bucks a month instead of Photoshop or, or their whole suite was, you know, a thousand dollars. So it's it actually also changed for the corporate customers. You have to do a justification for a new purchase, but if mm -hmm. you're just paying this, this consistent fee, then right. we, we just use that That's, built into the budget. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it was something where a couple of big companies did that. And then much more recently, the past five to 10 years is where lots and lots of smaller companies have done it. Uh, but so for us, it's the, the easiest thing to say is, well, we just haven't done it because that would be more work and we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to mess around with that. And, and the system we have is working. Um, I guess the question is, you know, are we leaving money on the table? Could we be earning more revenue, uh, and more profit by having subscriptions, even if it meant we had fewer users. And it's certainly a discussion that we've had multiple times. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, as, as you said, it's, subscriptions are driving us all bonkers. Uh, it, it's not something that I like. I prefer to buy something and own it. And uh, I don't have to worry about paying for and it every month. choose when to upgrade. It, it, absolutely. Yeah. So so our upgrades, when we do have paid upgrades, it's never forced on anyone. Uh, you, obviously, we hope that you'll see it and you'll say that'll be worth it. But it's not something where you automatically have to pay for it. Um, so yeah, personally, I'm not much of a fan of subscriptions, which then leads us to say, well, we don't need to go gung-ho for that. Now, what um, that tells me is that you rely on your revenue stream has to rely on new customers. Absolutely. Because I have not paid you that much money for how much value <laughs> I've gotten and how much of a pain I am to the support staff. So yeah, it's, it's something where, uh, again, I... 
uh, what I'd love to have is a machine that would let me run all sorts of simulations and say, okay, if we did this pricing, if we had subscription pricing, whatever, but obviously I don't have that. Uh, and if I had it, I could use it for something better than figuring out how to price <laughs> our software. But if I had it, I would I would run all sorts of simulations and I would say, okay, this is the one that one, earns us the most money, but also two, you know, uh, gets us the most satisfied customers, gets us the, you know, the best overall outcome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because that's, that's the thing is that uh, when you provide something of value and someone realizes that it's a good value, they're much more likely to talk about it. Whereas if you provide something that someone needs, but you gouge them or you charge them every single month Irritate and they're them. annoyed to pay. Yeah. Uh, it's, you're not going to get people saying, oh, I love this product. I love this service. Uh, and there is value there that uh, I think is harder to, to notice or harder to capture, harder to, harder to see, I should say. Uh, so yeah, it's something where we like the pricing model that we have, which is good. Uh, we have so a, do we. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there certainly are people who say, oh, this should be a subscription. I, I, I don't want to pay that much up front, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, the, the counter to that is, well, we have a free trial. All of our software is a free trial. You can test it out. You can make sure it does exactly what you need. All of our trials are 100% fully featured. Uh, there's nothing that you can't see that you have to wait to pay and then see that how that feature works. You're so, also very generous in your in your upgrades too. That if you own such and such a version, you know, click here, put in your license code, and you get a you get a, a discount on the discounted on the upgrade, upgrade. Right. So um, you're 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 more than generous. I'm not trying to convince you to increase your prices or change your pricing model, but it is interesting because I get so much value, and then when the upgrades come out, it's a no brainer. I mean, there's there's well, no question I, that's, that I go to that. that's definitely what we hope for, and and over the years we've we've moved a little bit towards more paid upgrades. Uh, again, ten in twenty years is not many, but it's something where we we said, you know what, we do need to when we add value to the software, we need to charge for that, and uh, there has been very little resistance to that, and there's always going to be a few complaints, and that's fine, but uh, for the most part, yeah, we see. Uh, consistent upgrades. People see the new version and they say, "Okay, I'm going to check it out," and then they upgrade, and that's that's what we want to see. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's as you said, it's getting a lot of new customers, but also every couple of years having a new version that has a lot more functionality and that uh, that is worth paying a little bit more money for. Yeah, very good, very good. I, I want you to talk about the product Fission because okay. it, it's a valuable product, but it leaves me wanting, and I'll torture you with my secondary question that I know you're expecting, but describe pe- to people what Fission is and what problems it solves. Sure. So Fission is our audio editor, and it's designed to make editing audio uh, specifically, uh, or, or most uh, most frequently, audio recorded with Audio Hijack or Piezo. Uh, it's designed to make editing that audio very simple. So if you have a one-hour recording, and in the middle, there was a break where, you know, someone had to use the restroom, something like that. And you just want to cut that out. It takes about 30 seconds to do it in Fission. Uh, it's designed to be very accessible, which a whole lot of audio editors out there are not. A whole right. lot of audio editors out there are built for use in a studio, use in professional settings, and they are very difficult to use. And so our goal with Fission from day one was this should be something where anyone can use it. Anyone can see how to use it. And it may not have all the bells and whistles that some of those other editors have, and that's okay. If people need those, they can get those, but uh, designed also, to be usable It also by does anybody. a nice job uh, if you cut a piece out that it, it fades it down and back up again so you don't get yep. these hard cuts. So yep. it's, by it's default, nice it'll, it'll fade that in and out, exactly. I was telling Paul, I use, whenever I do a recording, like what we're doing right now, the first thing I do is a test recording, and then I bring it up in a fission. It's a really quick way to look at a waveform and say, whoa, he's blowing it out, and I'm way too quiet. Let me adjust it. Let right. me do another test recording. So it is, I use it constantly. But I want it to be a multi-track editor. And you did an announcement recently where you said, you're going to be so excited. And I was like, yay, it's finally here. They're finally making me a multi-track editor. And it wasn't. I want you I'm to make sorry. one. I will write you large checks. I, I promise. I, maybe I'd even give the support staff a month off. If you there we go. Uh, so so certainly a multi-track editor is something that uh, you know we've gotten plenty of requests for. The, the thing that I always say about Fission is that what we hear from people is, oh, it's so great. I just wish it had X. And the problem is X is different for every single person. And so every single person says, oh, I just need this one feature. I just need this one feature. And suddenly you've built that, you know, $300 logic, which is too confusing to use. And uh, Mm -hmm. now multi-track is not automatically, you know, multi-track is more obvious. And that's something that uh, makes sense. Uh, 
but it is a different type of editor and it is not what fission is at this point. Uh, it is certainly something we've discussed. It is certainly something we've kicked around internally. Uh, I cannot make your day for you and tell you, <laughs> oh, it's coming this, this week, next month, whatever. But it is something we're aware of. Uh, there are, I don't know how much you've poked around. There are several pretty solid uh, multi-track editors on the Mac. Uh, GarageBand is, is certainly one, but that's, I, I think GarageBand is overly complicated. Um, mm -hmm. Sound Studio is a good one. Uh, Amadeus Pro is a good one. So, I'll, you know, basically these are our competitors, but they're, they're ones that are doing multi-track editing where we're not. And if that's, if that's a requirement for you, those are the ones that I would look at to start at least. I haven't actually heard of Sound Studio. I have tried a lot of audio editors and what I want you to do is just guess what I need the interface to look like. Because okay. all of these are wrong. There, I, okay. I, I use Hindenburg right now and I like okay. it, but I don't love it. I've tried, okay. I've used Amadeus Pro. I liked it. I didn't love it. I've used GarageBand. I liked it. I didn't love it. All of them left me just like going, ah, but then I have to, ah, and this is not, so I don't, I can't even tell you what it's supposed to look like, but just like you figured just not out. not like those. Not like those, but like you figured out what was wrong with Audio Hijack Pro and you made me Audio Hijack and you made it drag and drop and I looked at it and I went, ooh, and every time I use it, I'm just delighted. I want you All to right. just do that. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just guess what I want it to look like. And I've talked to other people. I was talking to Barb Bouchatz, who's one of my partners on a lot of stuff I do. And he said, yes, I will write them big checks too. Tell them that I want, I want that. Please just go, just guess what we want and, and make it, and, and make, make it. it super easy. Okay. Sure. And, no problem. And accessible. Okay, good. <laughs> I just wanted to get that across before we, uh, before we had to get going. Uh, this, this has been great fun. I know we didn't even talk about all of the products. Uh, do you want to talk at all about the others or you want to just. Oh, I mean, it, I just hope people, as I said, go to macaudio.com, check out, check out all the products. Uh, again, they all have free trials. Uh, no, we don't need to, we've, we've, the conversation about development is more interesting than just trying to advertise everything. Yeah, but yeah. If you, if you so. go to our website and, and check things out, you'll probably find something that'll help you. Paul, thank you so much for your time. This was fantastic. This was everything I hoped it would be. We had a walk down memory lane. We talked about development. We talked about support. Everything I wanted to talk about here. Great company. Congratulate everyone for me on, on 20 years. This was fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the Nocilla Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other Nocilla Castaways. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.